mess. Uh, where we will pick up where we left off last time in verse 16. Now, uh, as we read through this, uh, I think what we're going to find is that it really is a continuation of what Paul began uh, when, with where we left off, okay? Uh, you remember in verse 8, Paul had warned them to be wary or to see to it that no one take them captive. Uh, and then he proceeded to remind them why Jesus was worth following. Uh, why he was so much better than all of those other things that were kind of before them, that that were tempting them to maybe move away from either the foundation of Scripture that they had learned or maybe away from Christ altogether. Uh, You'll recall that by nailing the debt that stood against us to the cross, through his death, through his resurrection, Christ had secured for his people forgiveness, resurrection, eternal new life. He had achieved for them complete victory, not only over those things in the world uh, which opposed them or those forces which might oppose them, uh, but also over all spiritual forces that stood or that threatened them over sin and over Satan and over death. Christ had defeated it all. And so in short, what he had given them was true, lasting freedom. Real freedom. Now, today, that's really the theme that I want us to pick up on because Paul is going to further explain that reality, what it looks like to truly be free. And he's going to encourage us, as he does so often, not only here but in his other letters, not to be enslaved again. So, let's read this together and let's get it before us. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle and do not taste and do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask that you might, through the preaching of your word, transform our minds and change our affections and soften our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we might understand the depth of your love that you have shown to us in Christ and we might more and more love him 
and live in dependence on him. Father, give us strength for today. Give us bright hope for tomorrow. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the warmer weather uh, this past week has signified, at least for me, and I'm sure for many of you in earnest, that fishing season has officially begun. And I am excited about that. I'm thankful for it, though I have not even been close to water in the past like six months. I am thankful for the idea that it is time and it is here and it could be potential, right? We could go if we wanted to, if we could find a time. But um, if you are a fisherman or if you live with a fisherman this morning, then you know uh, that we can often be, you know, superstitious is not the right word because we're Presbyterian, so we're going to say traditionalist. How about that? Okay, we like the same sorts of baits, spinner baits for us. We, we really appreciate that. Uh, we often go to the same spots. We have our honey holes that we like to fish in. And at least for my dad and I, we have a, a certain uh, fishing vernacular that, that we have to use most every time that we go in order for it to be effective. For example, when you catch a fish and you hold him up, you take the hook out and you're enjoying his beauty and the size of the fish that you have caught before you throw him back because you always need to practice catch and release when you throw him back you have to say swim and be free (laughs) now I hope you recognize that I didn't say swim and be free I said swim and be free you have to there's a voice that you have to say it in that's very important okay now The idea there is that you are giving him first a warning. Be free. Maybe maybe don't fall for the shiny lure next time when it (laughs) swims in front of you, right? Even though I kind of hope he does. And then also we're giving him a parting blessing. Go out with a new appreciation for the freedom that you almost lost, right? Go and enjoy your fishy life. Swim and be free. Well, clearly, things already this morning have gone completely off the rails, Uh, and most, if not all of you, are trying to figure out what in the world I'm talking about and the purpose of all of this this morning. Well, first, in naming our sermon today, I stole, with one obvious modification, our fishing phrase. And so, when you can't tell this just in printed form, it should read, live and be free, okay? Get the same voice. Same inflection as we had earlier, but I also used it because I think the the idea behind what my dad and I are trying to communicate to the fish may be the same idea that Paul is trying to communicate to his readers here. He's trying to give them a warning, saying, hey, maybe let's don't fall for the flashy new things, or maybe the flashy old things in this case that come before you, and he's also trying to give them a blessing. Go out and live in the freedom that Christ has achieved for you. Now look, to to be sure, some of the false teachings that we're going to consider here this morning are, are not in danger of enslaving us in 2023. But the danger behind them is still very real. 
You know, whether the temptation is to look to false teaching, which there is plenty of out in our world right now, whether it's to cling to the traditions of men, which we so often want to do, or whether it's simply to go back to that sin that has been with us for so long, that sin that once enslaved us, we all need to be warned and we all need to be reminded of the freedom in Christ that we now enjoy. So, today, I want to say to you, live and be free. Let's look at it together. First thing that I want you to see in this passage are the things that enslave us, the things that enslave. And they're connected to these two further warnings that Paul gives here in this passage. Again, he gave the first one in verse 8, and now in verse 16, he gives the second. He says, let no one pass judgment on you. Now, we need to to spend just a couple seconds here thinking about what Paul means, okay? Certainly, what he has in mind is that because these Christians hold to a biblical worldview, a biblical doctrine... These false teachers that have come in are saying to them, they're condemning them, they're mocking them, they're saying, hey, what you think you know, but you don't really know, you need to move away from those things. And so his point is, don't let them condemn you, don't let their mocking convince you that you need to turn away from what you have heard and from what you know to be true. As Ben has already pointed out, Don't let their mocking convince you that you need to turn away from biblical truth. In other words, I don't think Paul's main concern here is with the unkind words of the false teachers. I don't even think his main concern here is the feelings of the Colossians. His concern is that through the unkind words, through the judgment, that they will fall away. That they will say, well, you know what? I don't like the fact that they're saying this, so maybe we need to follow them. Now look, again, that's an important distinction to make. The Bible really teaches us not to be concerned with the thoughts or the words or the judgments of others. God will will take care of that. Vengeance is his. He will make sure that all of those things are accounted for. And yet as Christians, we are so often concerned with the thoughts and opinions and judgments of others so that on the one hand, we're tempted to fall away, but on the other hand, we come back and we judge and rebuke and speak harshly in return. Now look, the the point is the same on both sides. When we do either one of those things, whether we go and fall in line with the false teachings or whether we begin to treat others the way that they are treating us, either way, we are not following what God has told us to do, which is to go out with his truth, to stand on it, and let him take care of the results of that, okay? We can handle the mocking. We can handle the judgment because we are resting in the one who judges the living and the dead. He's going to take care of it. And so, again, the point here is don't get so worked up when people are passing judgment on you that you follow after them, whether that's in what they're trying to teach you or whether that is in judging them 
in return, okay? Now notice the things that he tells them to be careful of. Uh, it's, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So it seems uh, that part of the false teaching was that in order to be truly Christian, in order to really follow Jesus, you had to go back and you had to continue to keep those Jewish distinctions, food laws, festivals, uh, that were held throughout the Old Testament. Now, again, um, I think we read this, and, and none of us are in danger of not eating shellfish. Well, some of you may be in danger of that if you're allergic to it, but um, none of us are in danger of festivals, those sorts of things. We're not, it's, it's not on our radar, right? But I want you to recognize how subtle, how pervasive this would have been for early Christians. Now, recognize that they, they knew that Christianity came out of a Jewish background. They, they recognized that our Lord was a Jew, okay? And so they had that on their minds. It was on their radar already. Then also, what was the only scripture they had at that point? It was the Old Testament. So they were, if they were doing what Paul told them to do, they were reading through Exodus. They were reading through Leviticus. They were reading through Deuteronomy. And they were seeing these commands to sacrifice and to do all of these things, to have these festivals. And of course, you have to remember too that, that even the apostles at this point were having disagreements on exactly how to move forward. Remember in, the, in, in Acts, at the Jerusalem Council, Paul stands up and openly rebukes Peter. says, hey, you're adding things here that are, should not be added. You're doing things that should not be done. And Peter, until the Lord moves in his heart, he, he doesn't recognize that the Gentiles are in, that all of these things that were once unclean, are now clean. And so I say all of that to say, imagine when this false teacher comes in and he doesn't say, oh, you have to reject Jesus. He doesn't say that. He just says, if you really want to follow Jesus, you also have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to keep this festival, and you have to eat this food. And they're saying, hey, you know what? That, that's, that, that may be true. It's there. It's in, it's in the Bible, this word that we're reading. Friends, that's, that's a whole lot more of a subtle, dangerous, false teaching than this openly saying, you have to reject Jesus. What, what he's giving them, what the false teachers are giving the Colossians is what I have deemed Jesus plus. Okay? Jesus plus Whatever, whatever that plus may be. In this case, festivals. In this case, food laws. But that idea of Jesus plus is one that every single one of us in this room right now are wrestling with. It's maybe not Jesus plus these things, but it's Jesus plus maybe even biblical things. Jesus plus good works. Does the Bible say that Christians should do good works? Absolutely it says that, right? 
But the problem becomes that we say, okay, well, I'm going to hold Jesus in this hand, and I'm going to hold my good works in this hand, and these two things are going to work together to secure my salvation. Guess what? That's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that Jesus alone secures our salvation, and that under him, knowing that we have been saved, now our good works come from a heart of love and joy because he has saved us, not out of obligation, not out of merit. It's Jesus plus. What about our our human man-made traditions? We're Presbyterians. We don't like change. We like things to be the way that they've been since the Reformation, so since the 1500s, right? We have Jesus, and then we bring our traditions and we put them here with him. The Bible says, no, Paul is saying to us here, that, that's, that's not it. That's Jesus plus. What about our liturgical calendar? You know, we just came through Holy Week and, you know, we, not us particularly, but often churches will hold that up in such a way that it becomes an obligation on people. Now, look. Are all of those things inherently bad? No, they're not. But when they become a necessity on par with Christ, then friends, we have a problem. Again, it's Jesus plus, and the Bible says it is Jesus plus nothing. It is Christ alone that saves. It is Christ alone who sanctifies. It is Christ alone who leads us into glory. It is Jesus alone. Well, notice how Paul argues here. What he gives us there in verse 17 is is essentially a condensed version of the book of Hebrews. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I love that. In other words, food laws and festivals, the whole of the sacrificial system, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't the end game. It wasn't the full substance of God's redemptive plan. It was, again, a shadow. It was a sketch It was a type to speak in theological terms, a precursor to what or who was coming. All of it, it only paved the way for the fullness that was coming in Christ. And so his point is, they don't need anything else. They don't have to supplement. They don't have to add to because they have it all in Jesus. Friends, let me say to you this morning, you don't have to add your good works to what Christ has done. Now, frankly, if we're going to be honest, our good works cannot add to what Christ has done because our good works are just filthy rags. But to whatever degree you think you can add to it, you can't. And you don't have to, praise God, because Jesus has done it all. We don't have to add our traditions. We don't need Jesus plus anything. You simply need Jesus, period. Now, 
Does that mean that we don't go out and do good works? No. I just want you to recognize that it's not a means of salvation. It's not a means by which we get ahead with God. It's not a means by which we change his opinion of us. You know, if I go out and I help the poor, God doesn't look at me and says, man, I love you 10% more today than I loved you yesterday because you helped that poor person. No, his love for me cannot change because it rests in Christ. It rests in what Jesus has done. He is sufficient, okay? So, first warning, don't pass judgment. Second warning in verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Now, these are our sporting terms. There's a term that an umpire or a referee would use. And so, you know, if you committed a hard foul, if you threw at a batter's head because he had, you know, celebrated a home run the way that he shouldn't, uh, if you use illegal equipment, you're out of here, right? And so Paul is saying, effectively, don't let anybody get you thrown out of the game by insisting on and pursuing, look at these things that he mentions. First, uh, asceticism, or an extreme form of self-denial. Now, This is one of those things, if you know your church history, it has reared its ugly head throughout church history. It, it is active even now in certain places. And the idea, of course, is that you, if you will deny yourself of all earthly pleasure, then you are really, in that way, following God. The problem is that the Bible doesn't actually tell us that, right? Certainly, it tells us to humble ourselves before our Savior. And humbling ourselves before Jesus may mean living humble lives, means even poor means, whatever he has ordained for us. The Bible never tells us that we cannot properly, properly underline and score and whatever, highlight whatever you need to do, properly enjoy the good gifts that God has made. He has made them for that purpose, for the purpose of blessing his people. And so he says here that to live this sort of lifestyle is to put yourself in danger of being disqualified. I'll leave that there. Secondly, he says, uh, worship of angels. Uh, now, again, this is probably not something that, that we are tempted to do, uh, but what about worshiping the saints? What about worshiping Mary? What about worshiping preachers or church leaders or those who we kind of put up on a pedestal? Again, the book Hebrews, it, it leads with Jesus is superior to the angels. He is superior to any earthly leader. He's a greater prophet, priest, and king. You don't need any of those things. Third, he says there, uh, visions. Apparently, part of this false teaching was that these, these guys had visions that they had received that you had to have in order to really know the truth of Christianity. But they're visions that, that just puff up, that, that puff them up in their sensuous mind. They're man-made. They're, they're, they're false, and so they disqualify. Now, ultimately, what's, what's the problem with all of these things? And you see it there in verse 19. None of them are truly holding fast to the head, to the source of all nourishment. They may look good. They may be very pious in their way. They may even make for an interesting presentation. You know, if I got up here and I said, I've had a vision and I could, you know, that might be interesting. 
they're not connected to Jesus, it says. It cannot build up, he says. It cannot save. And so we have these, these two great warnings. And in these warnings, we see a picture of all of these things that, that can disqualify us, that can once again enslave us to sin. Some of them are things from the past, religious things that, that seem very pious. Some of them are new teachings that have come into the church. But all of them are extra-biblical. All of them are Jesus plus. And so I have there on top of your bullet in that, that Galatians 5 passage where he says, do not be enslaved again, right? I thought I had my bulletin with me, but I don't. So I'm going to turn to Galatians 5 if I can get over there. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Things that enslave. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice the reasons for freedom. And you see them there in verses 20 through 23. Uh, and there's three of these, but we're going to move through them swiftly. First, uh, in Christ, he says in verse 20, you have died to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, we're used to that language. Like, you know, Ephesians 2, he says, you, have, you were once dead in your sins and your trespasses, right? Talking about our state before Christ came. And we often say then, what can a dead man do for himself? The answer, of course, is a dead man can do nothing for himself. Now, I want you to take that and I want you to transpose it to what he says here today. He says, you have died to the world. And so if we are dead to the world, what, what can we, as those who are dead to it, do in the world? We may still walk in it. By faith, we are no longer residents or citizens of it. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom. We are no longer under the reign, to go back to Ephesians, of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit working in the sons of disobedience. We are under the reign of an everlasting king. So though it may seem that the world has great sway over us, and let's be honest, sometimes it does, the truth is as Christians we have even now been set free from this present evil age. The world cannot overcome our Savior and it cannot overcome us. Secondly there, he says we've been set free from the law. Set free from human teachings. Uh, the law which in our fallen state could only condemn us. Could only make us through our disobedience guilty. It no longer has that power to condemn us, right? In Christ it no longer has that. Friends, we are free. And this is repeating what I've said, but it's worth saying again. We are free from meritorious works of the law. Free from our insufficient attempts to save ourselves through it. And we are free to recognize the gracious element of the law. No, it cannot save us, but yes, it is the best way for us to live. Christ blesses us through it. It doesn't bind us in saving us. It binds us now that we are saved to live for him. 
So, uh, we don't have to bend every whim of false teachings. We can look to Christ and him alone. And then thirdly, it says there that we, and this is the, the best one, that we have been set free from the flesh, verse 23. You know, all those efforts, the asceticism, the visions, the law, it all looks good, it's very religious, it's very tied together very neatly, but notice in the end, what at its core is all of it? It's man-made religion. It's not biblical, it's not godly, and so what can it not do? It cannot stop, there at the end of verse 23, the indulgence of of the flesh. In other words, it cannot deal with sin. And sin, at its heart, is why we are disqualified. But I want you to remember Romans 7. And you don't necessarily have to turn there. You know that passage well. But if you want to mark it and go back and read it, I'd encourage you to do that. But you remember in Romans 7, Paul wrestles with this issue of his own flesh. The world has enslaved him. The law has enslaved him. Even his own flesh rebels against, against God to the point that he eventually cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you remember his response? It's, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, Recognize this, that, that in Christ we have been set free even from our rebellious flesh. Let me, say, let, me, let me try to say that to you in another way. Sin, as Paul would say it, sin no longer reigns over our members. I want you to let that sink in. Yes, in this life, sin is still with us, but it no longer controls us. The love of Christ controls us, Paul says. If you're here today and you're struggling with sin, if you feel like there is no hope or no way to break that pattern of sin in your life, the cycle that you have been in maybe your whole life, or at least maybe for the past months, maybe the past years. If Satan, and I promise you if you are in that place, Satan is right there with you telling you that you are a lost cause. He is accusing you. He is saying, how in the world can you act this way? Friends, if you are here today and that's the plight that you are in, Take this to heart. Christ has given you victory. If you are resting in Jesus, he has given you freedom over sin even now. Not just in the future, though that will be complete in the future, but even now, sin no longer reigns. We are not enslaved to it any longer. No, you can't overcome it in your own strength. You can't overcome it in your own wisdom. And so if you leave here and you think, today I'm going to give this up, more than likely you're not. But if you leave here and you say, Jesus, I am bowing in your presence. 
And I am repenting of this sin and I am asking you with my whole heart to take this from me. Will he do that? He may not. He may be like Paul. He may leave it with you. But I can tell you this. He will most certainly walk with you through every step of it. He will give you freedom. Free from the world. Free from the law. And praise be to him, free from the flesh. And so we see the things that once enslaved us, the reasons for freedom, and then finally, I just want you to notice, and and we've said this already, we've said it at the end of that last point, I want you to see the source of liberty and freedom. Three times he says it here, verse 17, the substance belongs to who? Belongs to Christ. Verse 19, it is the head, i.e. Jesus, who is giving the growth. And then in verse 20, it is Jesus with whom we died. Jesus is the only source of true, lasting freedom. That's huge. Uh, Because we live in a country, and we live in a world, and we live in a time of relativism and where everybody desires freedom and they want to be free to live however they want to and do whatever they want to and at their heart they want freedom. The implication of what we've read today, friends, is that there will be no freedom apart from Christ. Ultimately, everything apart from Him is in fact slavery and bondage. I want you to think about that. Once again, think about this week. Look back over the course of the week, over the things that you have leaned on for freedom, the things that you have leaned on for comfort and for peace. Friends, apart from Christ, there is no freedom. In John chapter 8 and verse 36, he says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so as we conclude, just let me remind you how this source gave you that freedom. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity in Philippians chapter 2. He became a slave. He became a servant in order to redeem those who were under the curse of the law. He became cursed himself. Everyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. He became cursed in order to save his people from sin's curse. He bore our wrath. He cried out, It is finished And friends, indeed it is. And so I ask along with Paul this morning, if Christ has set us free, then why would we go back to bondage? Why why would we go back to enslavement? To end where we started. If you are in Christ today, I encourage you, go out and live and be free as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the freedom that you have purchased for us through the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our Lord. Uh, And Father, as we look out at the world, as we look at our own hearts, we recognize that we are uh, in danger of being ensnared and held captive and enslaved in so many different ways. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, show us the reality of our hearts, show us the, the places where sin is still got its grip on us, and help us to wrestle with the reality of what Christ has done, how he has set us free. And Lord, help us to go out and live freely indeed. 
We thank you that we don't need Jesus plus anything. We need Christ. He is sufficient. He is all and in all. And so help us to rest in him. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let us sing and express our freedom in Christ together as we sing our final hymn, number 503, and rejoice together that we're out of bondage, we're out of sorrow, and we're out of the night, the dark. Let's rejoice together. Hymn number 503, please stand as you're able. Mm -hmm.